Hi, and welcome to the official podcast of Rome Review, the only podcast to be produced by English speakers for English speakers from inside the walls of the Eternal City. It was a dark and ominous night when we set out on foot to Sant'Andrea della Valle Church where our ghost tour began, a path less traveled by the typical Roman tourist. The dark heart of Rome and the stories surrounding it were brought to life as the wind shook the shadows and the city moaned around us. The streets that were filled with the light of laughter had dimmed to silence. Midnight in Rome is the scene where our stories are set, and we, Shahnaz, Edwina, and Kelly are here to take you through the tales. Sit comfortably in your safe haven, behind locked doors or under your bed covers. But listen carefully to this announcement, for when in Rome you should be as cautious of ghosts as you are of pickpockets. Walking through the streets of Rome and seeing the historic sites makes you wonder what secrets hide beneath the city's layers of passing time. Some history is unknown and some has been forgotten. Rome is not all about the traditional meals, romantic music, and marvelous art as we now think it is. It was once a dark and gloomy world for many. On the corner of Via dei Bianchi Nuovi, a small, wide, two-story house stands out. To the untrained eye, it is a beautiful, ancient abode with a balcony that reminds you of the sweet, romantic love of Romeo and Juliet. But if only walls could talk. It was the 19th century, a gruesome world, ruled by the papal authority. When crowds would gather in excitement to see the gory, public executions of the city's criminals, but it was only when 16-year-old Giovanni Battista Bugatti, known as Mastro Tita, voluntarily stepped up to the platform for his first public killing that these events became legend. Mastro Tita was the last executioner to work in Rome for the Vatican. At the end of his long career, he had killed 516 people, always in a different and brutal way. Every execution was habitually described in graphic detail in his diary, the now-published Memories of Mastro Tita. If you happen to find yourself on Sant'Angelo Bridge at midnight between September 10th and 11th, know that what you may see and hear are not just hallucinations from a long night out. Each year on this day, the ghost of Beatrice Shenci walks the bridge, carrying her severed head in her hands, a memory of an exemplary victim of an unjust fate. The legend says that if Beatrice is seen on this night, looking a man in the eye, it means that he has something to hide, an instinct from a lifetime of abuse. In the late Renaissance Rome, Beatrice Cenci lived with her family near Piazza Navona. They were one of the most powerful noble families, loved by the Romans for their kindness and generosity. They had but one flaw, the father, Francesco Cenci, a good friend of the Pope and thus utterly untouchable when it came to the law. 
Every day as citizens passed by the Chenchi Palace, they heard the screams of Beatrice, consistently violated and beaten by her father. They pleaded with the Pope to end Francesca's violence, but instead of imprisoning him, the Pope simply suggested that the Cenci family move to the country house far from Rome, where Francesco could do as he pleased. Three months later, Francesco Cenci was found stabbed to death in his country palace. The entire family was imprisoned and tortured, and finally confessed to Francesco's murder. They were sentenced to death. The people of Rome rose up against the tribunal decision, but the Pope showed little mercy. He spared the youngest son a lifetime of imprisonment and brutally executed the rest of the family on September 11, 1599, at dawn on Sant'Angelo Bridge. On one cold winter night, only a few years ago, a young man walked home alone towards the steps of San Francesco di Paola near Piazza San Pietro in Vincoli. As he walked, enduring the icy wind, he heard a long cry from the piazza ahead of him, and then silence. As he reached the bottom of the steps, he heard, this time from behind him, the sound of a carriage rushing towards him. Instinctively, he jumped out of the way, but as the sound of the carriage charged past him and off into the distance, he saw nothing. Then again, he heard the cry. He inched closer to the center of the piazza, but found nothing there but a puddle of water that had soaked his shoes. Later at home, he took off his shoes to discover that they were covered in blood. The year was 1650 in Rome, an era when divorce was forbidden. So how did women escape from a bad marriage? It all started in the center of Rome, Vicolo della Moretta, when Giulia Tofana designed the solution to the problem, she became known as the Witch of Rome by creating a mysterious potion she called Acqua di Tofana, or Tofana water. It was clear, tasteless, odorless, and when mixed with hot water or red wine, completely undetectable. The potion required three weeks to take effect, when the drinker would come down with a high fever, followed by a rapid death. In this way, the cause of death could never be traced back to the wives. She sold the elixir in glass vials, tagged with a picture of St. Nicholas, disguised as holy water. Quickly, she began to realize the high demand for her water, and so, she did what any woman of the time would do. She opened a business. Through the years, she amassed a fortune, and so she left Rome to go back to her homeland of Palermo. She left the business in the hands of her daughter, Geronima Tofana, who continued to sell the wonder potion to the masses, until one day, Geronima sold the potion to the wrong client. It was a young, oppressed wife, much like all the others, but at the last second, she had the change of heart. She took the vial to the police. The policeman looked at the bottle of what seemed to be harmless water, then sent the woman home laughing. Three weeks later, however, the police went to her house and apologized for their rash judgment. After her visit, their colleague had consumed the entire bottle of Tofana water. Its symptoms had a deadly effect. She quickly gave Geronima's name, and the police arrested them both, along with 51 other women who had recently purchased the Tofana water. However, it is said that in the preceding five years of Giulia Tofana's business, she killed more than 600 men, 
making her the most notorious poison peddler of all time. Is this potion still around today? It makes you wonder why Italian men have the reputation for being so romantic. Here our ghost tour ends, just as the sun rises over the Roman rooftops. Unlike so many ghost stories you hear, ours are true tales, the characters, real, Roman figures of the ancient past that, as these myths reveal, still rule our Roman streets. If our audio guide wasn't enough to intrigue you of Rome's secret spaces and dark past, visit Rome's Little Purgatory Museum, located in the Longa Tevere di Prati. This one-room museum holds an array of spooky material from across the world, handprints burned into books, tables, and shirt sleeves, a sign of the purgatory soul's contact with the living. Or better yet, we challenge you to test the validity of these legends, as well as your bravery by visiting the ghostly sites and staying at Rome's haunted hotels, such as the Hotel Castello della Castelluccia in the hills of Lazio. Allow me to remind you again that Rome is not solely the home of love, food, and wine. It has been dubbed the Eternal City, not only for its never-dying history, but for its still-living dead. For more information on museums, hotels, and English-oriented ghost tours, refer to RomeReview.com. Watch, Watch your back. back! And enjoy your time in Rome. Perfect. Halloween has come a long way in Rome over the past 10 years. It used to be that Carnevale, in late February, was the dominant dress-up holiday, and only Americans abroad and a few stray Italians found themselves in late October making their way to Irish pubs or private parties to chase down some pints, reminisce about ringing doorbells for candy, and telling a few ghost stories. But now, it's not so uncommon to find the local party stores packed to the marchapiede with pumpkins, masks, and decorations in orange and black. Not bad for a pagan festival in the stomach of a monotheistic homeland. Or better, it's about time. I'm guessing close to two millennia have passed since the last big bacchanal was wantonly unleashed here in the valleys between the hills. How did Rome lose its way? The Italian version of trick-or-treat is dolcetto o scherzetto. But on this occasion, I'll swap the conjunction. I'll offer you a trick and a treat. The treat is telling you about the museum known as Centrale Montemartini. And the trick? Finding it. But before I tell you how to get there, do this. From Piazza Venezia, make your way southwest, past the steps of the Campidoglio, and down to the Teatro di Marcello, the theater of Marcellus, a structure that has, on occasion, been mistaken for the Colosseum by ill-informed tourists. In truth, not such a gross mistake in that the theater was completed under Augustus, i.e. before the Colosseum, and probably served as an inspiration for its design. But I digress. What I would actually like you to notice is the separate three-column structure to the right of the theater. For those with an iPod with a video screen, have a look. There you see what remains of the Temple of Apollo Sosianus, named for its patron Gaius Sosius. Construction of the temple began in 34 BCE, but was interrupted by the civil war between Octavian and Mark Anthony. 
Sosius took the side of Antony, and after Antony's defeat at the Battle of Actium in 31 BCE, Sosius was sentenced to death. However, Sosius managed to reconcile with Octavian, which in turn enabled him to complete the Temple of Apollo, which, coincidentally, was promptly dedicated upon its completion to the Princeps, i.e. Octavian, who had recently renamed himself Augustus. Seeing this in person before you visit the Centrale Monte Martini isn't essential, but I do think it will add to the experience, as you will soon discover. The best way to get to the Centrale Monte Martini from the Teatro di Marcello is to walk back to Piazza Venezia, down to the Colosseum, and get on the metro Linea B, the blue line, in the direction of Laurentina. Then, get off at the Piramide metro stop. Once there, walk southwest to Via Ostiense and take any of the buses heading south. These include bus 23, 271, and the 769. You'll travel just over a kilometer and get off at the bus stop called Ostiense Garbatella. From there, look for the street address Via Ostiense 106, and you've made it. Welcome to the Centrale Monte Martini, what was once Rome's first public thermoelectric power plant built back in 1912. Before you enter, take a moment to imagine what awaits inside. Then, walk through the doors on the ground floor, buy your ticket, which, as of this recording, costs in and around 5 euros. Then, for the moment, bypass the ground floor exhibition space, take an immediate left, walk down the hall, and then up the stairs. If I could, I'd make you take this journey with your eyes closed. And only after you had reached the top of the stairs would I say, open your eyes. Tell me, when did you last see such a gloriously lit space with massive machinery, preserved to a polish, and juxtaposed with ancient sculpture? Now, straight ahead of you are a series of sculptural fragments of figures and horses arranged on a wooden stage with a blue backdrop in the shape of an isosceles triangle. This group of sculptures is undisputedly the supreme treasure of the museum. This is a bold assertion given the amount of treasure that abounds. But there is a reason, one that might not even be immediately evident to the professionally trained eye. Can you guess what that reason is? While you think about it, do you remember the Temple of Apollo Sosianos? Well, these were the sculptures that decorated the temple's pediment shape of which is simulated by that triangular backdrop. The scene's narrative is believed to depict the ninth labor of Hercules, an adventure that pairs him with Theseus to face the queen of the Amazons, Hippolyte, an attempt to strip her of her girdle, a symbol of supremacy in war, and a gift from her father, Ares, the god of war. As to why a girdle would be chosen to symbolize such a thing strikes me as either a supreme paradox or savvy satire, depending upon your experience. The figures on horseback, 
which from a distance are easily mistaken for centaurs, are thought to represent the Amazon women, while the nude torso is Hercules, the central figure Athena, the floating head and torso Nike, and the most complete of all the figures, Theseus. That these were the decorations of the pediment to the Temple of Apollo are not what make them the precious paragon they are. In fact, were these sculptures like the rest of the works in the room, all invaluable specimens of ancient Roman sculpture, then they might not be so celebrated. The truth is, archaeologists believe that these sculptures date back to the 5th century BCE, birth of the classical period, and are in fact ancient Greek originals. Furthermore, it is imagined that bronze weapons, like arrows, swords, and shields, were incorporated into the work, and that all of the figures were once painted, as evidenced by the colors still seen on the face of the Nike. I hope knowing this history and connecting this work to its quote-unquote original location add to your appreciation of the spectacle. And if you find yourself asking why Greek sculptures are considered superior to Roman sculptures, I'll answer that with a simple question. Where do you think the Romans got their ideas? The Centrale Montemartini might just be the most hidden of the hidden marvels that I've mentioned today, and probably yields the richest reward for those willing to find it. For more information, please visit Rome Review and search for Montemartini. M-O-N-T. E-M-A-R-T-I-N-I. This concludes this year's trilogy of Hidden Marvels. If you've enjoyed this series, let us know. Either write your own review about one of the marvels on the Rome Review website, or write to us at podcast at romereview.com. Okay, I'm going to go off script here and share with you a quick story. As I was recording the audio for the Centrale Monte Martini segment, there was some commotion outside of my door, and then the doorbell rang. Well, at first I was a little puzzled, and then it hit me. It's Halloween. And then what hit me was a wave of guilt and shame because I realized I don't have any candy. <laughs> so I went to the door to assess the situation. I looked through the little lens there to see who was out there. And there weren't just two or three little witches. There was a mob of witches. And given my ill preparation, I decided it was only appropriate that I face the music. So I got my camera, started up a movie, opened the door, and confessed that uh, I didn't have any candy and that I was to be justly punished. So... <laughs> In response to scherzetto o dolcetto, I said scherzetto. And would you believe that their version of a trick was to give me candy? So, 
that made me feel even worse. <laughs> but that was very sweet of them. I thank them very much. Shame on me, and I promise that next year I will be better prepared. I, I will walk the walk that I talk. So, here is the audio from that video. I think you'll find it humorous. Enjoy. Che vergogna! No, 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 niente! È un saluto, però! Mennaggia la miseria! Quindi, scherzetto? Scherzetto, esatto, un dolcetto. Che si fa? Mannaggia la miseria, che vergogna, sono anche americano. Eh no, eh. E sono mal preparato. Ma siete bellissime. Fantastico. Che cos'è? Grazie, grazie. Grazie mille. Mi dispiace. Da lei non ce l'aspettavamo. Eh, infatti, però... Che devo dire? Prossima volta. La prossima volta. Next year I will be ready. I promise. Okay. Oh, 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 come si dice dolcetto scherzetto in inglese? Trick or treat. Smell my feet. Give me something good to eat. Ciao, mi spiace. Grazie. Ciao. That was hilarious. Some closing news and notes. We've concluded a major upgrade to our events calendar. You can now see on the homepage of our website, on the right-hand column, an events calendar widget that displays the total number of events listed and a dynamic rotation of all events happening in Rome that very day. In addition, a list of all events hosted by each venue can also be found on that venue's respective page in the Rome Review directory. It's a great tool for anyone coming to Rome sooner or later. Have a look and see for yourself, and do help us spread the word. An important note for travelers flying into Rome, the Leonardo da Vinci Fiumicino Airport has now conformed to the system adopted by other international hubs and has changed its terminal names from letters to numbers. So, Terminal A is now Terminal 1. Terminal AA is now Terminal 2. Terminal B and C combined are now Terminal 3. Terminal 4 has not yet been built. And Terminal 5 was opened last year, called T5, and is specific to departures to the U.S. and Israel. Our thanks to this episode's AUR student podcasters Shahanaz, Edwina, and Kelly. And as always, thanks to Professor Elizabeth Gehagen. This podcast was produced and recorded between April 14th and October 31st, 2009. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm Charlie Q. Join me again before the year is out for another episode of Rome Review. English Tongues in the Eternal City.